0: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon and I'm uh, getting over yet another great snooker final. The English Open at the weekend in Milton Keynes. Terrific occasion. Neil Robertson beating John Higgins 9-8 from 8-6 down, of course. It was a strange final in in a lot of ways because I felt on the balance of the afternoon play, Robertson should have been further in front and I think against most other players he would have been. John Higgins did his sort of limpet-like stuff and just clung on really. And then, of course, it all changed in the evening. Um... You can look back and maybe say Robertson maybe went too defensive, maybe protecting the lead. He couldn't score in those first four frames. And Higgins went 7-5 up. The interval came and, of course, uh, he went 8-6. But Robertson then really did attack. He really did play well. He went for it. And, you know, it's pretty simple, with not it? Robertson, actually, when he attacks, he tends to play better. When he's on the defensive, he tends to play worse. And he went on the attack and he won. And regardless of the pattern of play during the day... All that mattered was who got to nine first and it was Neil Robertson, terrific win, 21st ranking title for him. He he genuinely wanted to collect those Home Nations trophies as well because they're all named after legends he looks up to. So he's already got the Stephen Hendry trophy, the Ray Reardon trophy and now he's got the Steve Davis trophy. So it's the Alex Higgins Northern Ireland Open trophy next for him. Higgins, of course, was very disappointed um, in the immediate aftermath. Of defeat, and we've had a couple of emails actually And by the way, this episode will be about uh, looking ahead to the champion of champions in the main But we're going to go through some emails 1st i We've had a couple of emails about Sunday night Callum Law said that the English Open was another great week for snooker Which as always was superbly covered on Eurosport and Quest Unfortunately, as a John Higgins fan watching the final It felt like there was a sad inevitability about the outcome After what happened in the Northern Ireland Open final Don't think he did much wrong in frames 15 and 16 But in the decider, with the chance he had, he should have made at least 40 if not more I know there's a huge amount of pressure, but I wonder if John, who many would argue is the best pressure player in the history of the game, is starting to feel it in these situations more than earlier in his career. I still think John is capable of winning any tournament, but I do worry about the impact these final defeats may have on him, because if he gets to more finals, the two gut-wrenching losses this season must still linger in the back of his mind. And Alpha Bonzi on the same subject says, after John Higgins loses again from Turk with three to play, does he want to win too badly? Should he treat the game like O'Sullivan and Williams? Well, of course, I mean, you're right, it was 8-6 uh, against Mark Allen, lost 9-8, 8-6 eight, eight, up uh, against Neil Robertson, lost 9-8. Tough to take. And the two, I think, are connected as well. And he said afterwards, you know, it proves I can't play at this level anymore. Well, I, I think most people kind of felt that was a bit of a, re- a real reaction and an understandable one in the immediate aftermath of defeat. But you know, John Higgins is still a great player. The fact he's got to two finals in a row tells you that. Um, it was a Similar story, really, on the evening, early on with Neil Robertson and, and certainly later with John Higgins. They were losing position. They were getting in. And Higgins grossly misjudged a couple of positional shots where he could have continued breaks and, and possibly won. Um, we, we can only really, I think you can only really look back on this in a couple of years and say, you know, is this actually a serious um, point in his career where it, there's a turning point where he, he can't handle the pressure anymore. If in two years' time he hasn't won another tournament, then I think you possibly could look back on it and say it's significant. But if in two years' time he's won several tournaments or has been you know in several finals and he's still very much a top player, then we'll look back on it maybe as, as just a bit of a blip. And I tend to, to suspect he's more likely to be that because this has happened various times in his career. He's had little you know peaks and troughs and he, he's spoken about you know, maybe I, I'm I'm no longer a top player and all the rest of it. And then he comes good again. Um, and without picking on anyone, I, I'm, I'm genuinely not doing that, but I did his match against Oliver Lyons in Milton Keynes. And the gulf between those two, when you see a real top player playing their best against a player down the rankings, you do understand the gulf in, in standard. Now, you often hear people say anyone can beat anyone, which is true if the top player has an off day. But if the top player plays their best stuff, They'll win. And that's why, you know, you get to quarterfinals day, as we did on Friday, and there were so many big hitters. I think every quarterfinalist had won a ranking event, actually. Even, like, people a little lower down the list, like Luca Bricell and Mark King, they'd still won tournaments. Um, so, listen, John Higgins has got a long way to fall. And on Alpha Bonzi's point about should he treat it like O'Sullivan and Williams, they want to win as much as John Higgins, I can assure you. Whatever they say, they want to win as much. Mark Williams, I think, is very good at handling... Defeat. And actually, I think O'Sullivan's pretty good handling defeats. Um, so when Mark, uh, if he loses, he can, he can kind of take that maybe better than some players. But he wants to win when he's out there. And Ronnie O'Sullivan said he was really enjoying the week and he thought he was playing well. He really wanted to win that semi-final. It was interesting the, the O'Sullivan Higgins semi-final, they'd kind of both gone in that decider. There was all sorts happening. They kind of both were feeling it. Um, maybe that is something that happens as you get older. I think from Higgins' perspective, what was interesting was I interviewed him before the final for Eurosport and I said, it's 27 years since your first ranking ranking, uh, title success, do you still get as excited by being in in a final? And he actually said, I get more excited than ever. And I guess the reason for that is because at this stage, at the age of 46, he doesn't really know how many more opportunities he'll have to win tournaments. but uh, I think I think, listen, it's, it, right off Tom Higgins at your peril is kind of something we've said for, for many years, twenty five years really, and uh, I think that still applies. He's playing good stuff. He's in a good place. I actually saw him, after the final, he was with his family, and you know he was a bit more chipper. Obviously, you know, surrounded by, the people who love him the most, and much better than sitting in your room on your own sulking. So you know he, he kind of. It'll hurt, but it, it'll get over it, I think. And I think we'll see more, plenty more of, uh, of John Higgins uh, as the tournament goes on. In terms of, uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Mark Williams, of course, Mark didn't play in it. Uh, Ronnie lost in the semis. Um, he was in good form, wasn't he, all week, uh, you know, in terms of his, what he was saying. And that's the thing with Ronnie, you know, it's a little bit different in Belfast. To me, he's a bit like a kind of radio, actually. You know, you could sort of tune from one station to another. On any day, he might, it might be a sort of mournful classical piece. And the next day it'll be some euphoric banger. And that's what the thing with Ronnie. And you can decide yourself whether to turn the volume up or down on the things he says. I'm much more interested in how he plays. And he's playing well. Although it has to be said uh, that he didn't play anyone in the top 32 until he played Higgins, who beat him. So, you know, he didn't come up against any other top players until that semi-final. And that's what he's been struggling to do, I guess, since the World Championship victory last year. is actually beat the real top players consistently. Um, which is what makes next week, and we'll talk about the Champions champions later, that's what makes next week interesting, because he's in a group where they're all big hitters, Um and it's a tournament where they're all big hitters, and so I think that's going to be interesting to, to see how he goes there next week. But it, it, just in general on the English Open, uh before we move on to the other emails, I really enjoyed the week. Um There was a great sort of feeling about having crowds there. Early on they weren't great, uh but that's not that surprising, because... You know, on a Tuesday afternoon, people are at work. And also, if you're going to go to the snooker, people will often target the final weekend because that's when the semi-finals the final are on and there's more of a kind of vibe about it. We actually had an email. It's from Malcolm Johnston. Now, he sent this right at the start of the tournament. I think it would only been a couple of days. So, you know, there wasn't uh, much to go on here. But I'll read it anyway because it's interesting. He said, after watching the opening matches of the English Open... Can't help but think the powers that be really need to find this event a worthy home. From the much-slated Crawley, and now the saviour of lockdown, snooker, Milton Keynes, the number of spectators are pitiful and in stark contrast to the Northern Ireland Open, which probably makes the empty chairs seem worse. As a reg- regular attendant at various snooker events pre-COVID, I know first-hand the ticket pricing is always sensible, but surely taking this leg of the home nations to, to a traditional snooker area, Reading or Telford spring to mind, it deserves so much more. Well, I think on Reading, Malcolm, I think they'd struggle actually to get all the tables in. That Hexagon Theatre is a lovely venue, but it's not, uh, it's not the biggest place. I-, I thought it was right to go to Milton Keynes as a, as a thank you, as a reward for what they did, um, during the, the lockdown when we had all the behind closed doors snooker. You know, it was a chance for players to play and earn money. It was a chance for snooker fans, many of whom of course stuck at home to have some entertainment and the circuit ran really well during that time and they were really good to us in that, in that hotel, in that venue. Um, and actually, in Belfast early on, the crowds weren't very good. They built up, and the final was unbelievable, but they, they weren't that, that good. You don't expect that early on in the week, and they weren't great in Milton Keynes, but it, the last weekend was terrific. And uh, so I'm glad that it went there. And uh, it was there was a nice vibe. even like I was in the sort of just in the public area on Sunday, just walking through, a lot of people there, a lot of anticipation about the, the final session. You know, real good feeling about the place, and um, credit again to Phil Seymour, the Master of Ceremonies, who went out before the final, and, and again, very engaging with everybody and just creating a nice vibe before the players came out. Um, it was a good crowd, you know, they got into it, they were, they were engrossed in it, but there was nothing, no bad behaviour or anything like that. So I think, you know, the atmosphere hopefully came across nicely uh, on, on television. And, uh, and it, was, you know, it was a nice week, I enjoyed it. It was nice. Uh, thank you to everyone at Eurosport and indeed uh, Will Snooker Tour. Of course, many of those guys had spent a long time uh, at the Marshall Arena previous year, it was good to catch up with uh, my good friends in the press room, Sam and Roddy from World Snooker, who were spent all day long chained to various laptops and cameras and all, all of the things, churning out all, all their all their terrific content, um, and they had a new lad there, Alex, actually, who, uh, he's just, his first job out of university, he's working in the World Snooker press room, and, and of course that was my sort of entry years ago uh, into this great sport as well. I had two other emails actually, both from the same person about Milton Keynes, Frank Reel. I'll read them both out. The first one he said, I've been going to the British Open in Milton Keynes most days. Well, it's not that it was the English Open, isn't it? In Milton Keynes most days and nearly all sessions, uh, as I live quite local. The venue is great, but I was wondering why do the chairs, why are the chairs so uncomfortable? They're that bad. I've had to skip sessions just to let my back recover. Do you know if that's the same at all venues? Or do you have any more comfy chairs that you can sit in for a few hours if necessary without worrying? Especially if Selby's playing <laughs> is the commentary seating more luxurious as you're constantly working? and then, Well, he sent that one, and a few days later, he sent another one. I think you should ignore my first email complaining about the seating at the English Open. as I was there again all day Friday, and I've got to say, apart from some slight stiffness after such a long day, my back was absolutely fine. I know it doesn't make sense. It's not the most, compu- mo- not the most compulsive, but, m- but more likely one of your most uninteresting emails to bother reading out. But writing this, I've just returned home from Friday's quarter's I felt it only fair to be completely honest to the Marshall Arena Seating Department. And also having the tournament in Milton Keynes seems to have been very successful. hope it continues to stay there as it's only a 20-minute drive for me as all of the tournaments seem to always be north of Watford. Well, yes, so I'm glad that that worked out for you, Frank, in the end. Uh, You may just have been a bit unlucky with the the first uh, place you sat. Um, it's got to be said seating in 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 venues isn't isn't always comfortable that's why the crucible one of the reasons the crucible is so lovely is because it's a theatre they have to actually have decent seats um not all sort of leisure centre type venues which have obviously temporary seating you know is that great but i'm, I'm glad in the end uh, your back uh, sort of uh, survived long time correspondent james cook in america uh is 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 backing Touchy said, it's been a while since I last corresponded, but rest assured, I'm still listening to the podcast, which remains excellent. Thank you, James. It's the Friday of the English Open. I'm really enjoying the tournament. I'm currently between opportunities on the career front, but there's a silver lining in every cloud. My family is back at work and school, leaving me home alone with the Eurosport app on which I can watch snooker from 8am to 8pm using the time delay and catch up to watch all the matches. However, my plan is often ruined by match commentators, you being one, giving out the scores on the other tables whilst commentating on another game. Fans can surely follow the other matches online if they want to keep up to date scores. It does mean that if I hear the score or result of another game, it does kind of make it pointless watching it, and then I have to go and do something useful, like find a job. So can you please do me a favour and either give a heads up when you're about to reveal another score result or refrain from doing it? Thanks and keep up the good work. Still the best snooker podcast on the planet. Thank you, James. Yes, well, Rob Milkins actually uh, on Twitter called me out for this. He said, stop giving out the scores. I'm recording these other matches. Um However in the past uh, Broadcasters have been, uh, and Eurosport On the home nations have been accused of ignoring Other matches, oh you never tell us what's happening on the other tables You can't really win with this Maybe we need some sort of klaxon That we sound <laughs> Which tells you we're, we're about to, uh, to to Mention the scores on the other table Of course on TV the, the classic thing um, it's Sort of on the news if match of the day is coming up is And it seems incredibly antiquated In this day and age with People have got access to it, every conceivable piece of information, you know, at their fingertips. But the classic thing is, if you don't want to know the score, look away now. I remember Trevor McDonald, the veteran News at Ten presenter, once saying that he, he once um, he once said that on the news, and he had a letter from a guy who who said that he did look away, but he still saw the scores reflected in his sideboard. There was sort of a glass front on his sideboard. And he was really angry that uh, even though he'd been told by Trevor McDonald to look away, he could still see the scores. I take it on board, James. Maybe we can come up with some sort of way of uh, alerting people. But I think it's quite important to a lot of other people that actually the scores are given out. Um, I know you can find them yourselves, but if there's something interesting happening, then if we're covering the tournament, I guess we want to we want to you know bring that forward. But uh, clearly, there's a, there's a balance to be struck, is what you're saying. Now, if you like passive aggressive emails, here's one from Harry Tompkins. This is my third email. The previous two have been ignored, but I will have one last attempt. (laughs) You stated in the latest pod, Karen Wilson is entitled to his opinion. Good of you, as you were interviewing him, and presumably the idea of these is to get some sort of interesting point from them. Only in snooker with a top six player, saying he thinks he should be on the main table every so often, is controversial. Harry in London. Thanks for getting in touch, Harry. Now, last week we had one of our perennial uh, queries about where Tony Mio is. And Luke Williams has some more news on this. I, I mentioned that he's, as far as I know, he still is in the jewellery trade. And uh, he said, uh, he said Tony was kind enough to ring me a few months ago after I wrote a letter to him asking if he was willing to share some of his memories of Patsy Houlihan for the book I'm writing. He's in great form, and it was a very kind gesture of him to call me, someone who he's never met, spoken to, or even know of. Full details of the interview will be in the book. He's still in the watch trade and seemed in very good spirits. Well, that's good to know. So uh, Tony Mayo still... As I say, ploughing a, a trade outside of snooker, but good to know that he, he uh, wanted to share his memories there of, uh, of uh, Patsy Houlihan, who was a bit of a character, and I'm sure Luke's uh, book will, uh, will bring all of that across. Leon Tricker writes about it. quite an interesting subject here. As I type, I'm listening to you commentate on the English Open semi-final between O'Sullivan and Higgins. Watching the match, my eyes keep being drawn to the decor around the table, the advertising boards, the players' seating and tables and the carpet. In my opinion, the scenic backdrop for the Home Nation series is far better suited to a prestigious event than many other snooker tournaments. In particular, the World Championship has looked cheap and tacky in recent years, with green bays, blue advertising boards and red carpet clashing and assaulting the senses. I wrote to you a little while ago about the declining audience dress code over the years, and I feel that the maison scene of snooker venues is another example of standard-slipping. I suspect this is primarily driven by sponsors, but I feel strongly that the stage dressing should befit the sporting drama, especially at the Crucible. Be interested in your thoughts on the matter. Thank you, Leon. Well, yes, I, I don't, I, from memory, I don't think I agreed with your view about the audience. Uh, what well, I think the audience can dress what they like, dress in what they like, frankly, <laughs> if they paid their money to go. In terms of the sets, um, of course in the old days you used to have flower beds and all sorts. Um, Although often they were obscured by cigarette smoke in the arena, uh, I'm not an expert on this. Um, I, I, I do get what you're saying about the Crucible, but obviously, you know the sponsors want the the uh, set decked out in their colours, and that was always the case with the Embassy. Uh, the great mystery over the 1987 um, World Championship: the set suddenly became blue, and there was a sort of theory that it was because it was 60 years of uh, the of the World Championship having started in 1927. But it was, it was actually, I think, it was because there was a new Brand of embassy cigarette that was in a blue packet Because <laughs> yeah, it was kind of Looked like an ashtray really in those days The set So yeah it, it, the, it, We've always kind of had this But to people obviously have their own You know personal views and opinions And, and uh, we, we've heard yours there It's not something I get too upset about to be honest I thought the set was lovely um, In uh, Milton Keynes I, I agree it looked nice I like the Home Nation's branding Um and, uh, you know, they, they, I think World Snooker Tour do a very good job of actually making the events look different. It's not easy when you've got so many. It's interesting actually, just sort of to digress, go on a tangent here. Ronnie O'Sullivan in one of his various interviews before the event, he made a comment that he said that the snooker circuit had become toxic, which I didn't agree with. I think it's the wrong word. I think what it's become, actually, is a bit clinical. It's a bit, bit, cold is another word maybe as well to describe it. In as much as, because it's become more professional, which is a good thing, and we've got more tournaments, you feel it's kind of, and we'll see this in the next few weeks, you'll feel it's kind of racing from one to another. An example is, you know, when I started in snooker, and even maybe 10 years ago, after a, a final like that last night, there would have been a reception, there would have been, you know, free drink and food, there would have been a sort of get-together for everyone who worked at the tournament, the, the winner would be there. As it is, as far as I'm aware, Neil Robertson and his family just got in the car and drove home. There was no great sort of hoo-ha, and even like the bar in the hotel shuts at midnight. You know they weren't gonna, they, they don't stay open there, so people relaxing after the event and you know coming together and having a drink that wasn't really an option because it finished so late. Um, it never used to be like that, you know. The, the, in the old days, there'd be an all-nighter, um, people letting their hair down, but there's not time to do that now because, I guess, for example, Robbo is. He'll have a day off and he'll be back practicing for the Champion of Champions with the UK Championship around the corner as well. It's an important time of the season, so it's become a bit clinical. It's become okay. Let's get this week out of the way. Then where are we next week? Um, but that's because it's become more professional and more successful. There's so many tournaments now, there isn't sort of time to to to, to, to dwell on the one that's uh, just finished. Um, I, I do also think, as well on on the subject, maybe just to wrap up the English Open chat is uh, this sort of. I'm not a great one for rank, ranking the tournaments and saying this one is more prestigious than that one. The fact is, the audience there, and it, it was a full house for the final, they chose to spend their money and their time coming to Milton Keynes to watch that match and hopefully, because it was so exciting, it will persuade them to come back next year or to go to another tournament. Uh It did its job and you know, the English Open is not regarded as one of the absolute majors, but it was a fantastic final, and as I say, it's, it entertained the people that came along and hopefully people on TV as well. Um, that's not really saying anything about the set, but uh, anyway, if anyone's got any views the Champion of Champions set, I'm interested in seeing next week. I think that will be a little bit different as well, because Matchroom, uh, again, looking to innovate and just make things look, uh, look different, I guess. So let's move on to the big event happening next week. It's the Kazoo Champion of Champions in Bolton. That's a new home for the tournament. Um, It's got quite a bit of snooker heritage in those parts. John Spencer was from that area and also, of course, Tony Knowles. And in 2021, we've got 16 players congregating to see who will be crowned champion of champions. I've only worked on the the event the last couple of years. Uh, Well, in fact, (laughs) not at all last year because I had COVID. I had to watch it, but um, looking forward to this year. But I remember watching the first edition back in 2013 and and immediately thinking this is a great tournament. The concept is really easy to understand. It's all the winners of the tournaments from the previous season. Uh, all, the, all the previous year, um, and you know it's got a touch of class about it. The ITV4 coverage is brilliant. Matchroom are brilliant. Um, be interesting to see how it goes down in, in its new venue. But it's a it's a classy tournament. This and one every player wants to be in, and every player uh, certainly wants to win. Um, as I say, sixteen players, not all actually tournament winners. I mean, Mark Allen won it last year. He hadn't won a tournament. The reason is you know they have to fill up the field because we haven't got sixteen different winners. You look at Trump, Robertson, Selby. You know they they're. they're th- Three multiple winners from last season and also lost a couple of events, of course, during the pandemic. Um, it's absolutely the right thing to fill it up from the rankings. People saying, you know, invite all sorts of obscure winners of amateur tournaments. A complete non-runner. They're trying to sell tickets. This is, a, you know, this is a, a commercial thing. <laughs> They're trying to get a return. Um, so quite right to, to invite players off the rankings. Um, if you don't agree, my advice is put your own money into setting up a tournament. Don't invite half of the top 16 and then let me know how many tickets you sell. Meanwhile, in the real world, quite obviously, people want to watch the big names. Ronnie O'Sullivan has not won a tournament in the last year, but he's got all, going off the rankings, as have uh, Stephen Maguire, Ding Jun Bingham, of course, Mark Allen has withdrawn, so Bingham actually the last man in. And uh, the draw was made uh, this week, and we have four, well, they're called groups. I mean, there's a, there's a debate, a rather pedantic debate, about whether they should be called groups, because a group suggests they're all going to play one another. But they're called groups because, of course, they play one each day. So you have last sixteen and a quarter final each day. It's a narrative for each day. I think it's a really good idea, um, because you just get that story every day, okay, who's won today? And then of course the semi finals Friday, Saturday, the final on Sunday. So we're gonna start with group one. Um, they're all interesting, but I think Judd Trump, who's never won the champion of champions, would be reasonably happy with this group. It's Judd Trump, Stephen Maguire, Ryan Day and David Lilly. David Lillard, of course, the Senior's champion. Massive week for him. I'm sure he's looking forward to it already. Um, he plays Trump. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be a, a bit of a baptism of fire. Judge Trump hasn't really come to life yet this season. Uh, he's had a couple of setbacks, quarterfinals, Belfast and Milton Keynes. Now, quarter, two quarterfinals, it's not bad going, but we're just used to seeing him win. The manner in which he lost those matches, a bit concerning. You know, he was 3-0 up against Mark Allen, Mr. red for 4-0, lost 5-3. Against Mark King, just didn't really find fluency. He lost 5 3 there as well last week at the English Open. Surely he's going to come good at some point. And as I say, this is a tournament he dearly love to win. He's a multiple winner of tournaments. You know, he's won the same events several times. But there's some events he hasn't won. And the two that stand out are this Champion of Champions and also the Tour Championships. So I'm sure he'll be looking to, to tick those off as soon as he can. Um, in terms of the match with David Lilly, well, Lilly, you know, he does have TV experience and he's not a complete unknown by any means. I mean, the, the thing with David Lilly was he was a fine amateur. He was one of the best amateurs for a long time in England. He won the English Amateur Championship, the game's oldest tournament, 1916 started. Uh, he won that three times, Decided not to turn professional because he had a job, a good job, paying well and just decided to pursue snooker as a hobby. But I think... The game, you know, really started to take off under Barry Hearn. He just saw the opportunities, and he thought, "Well, if I don't give it a go now, I never will." Because he dropped off the tour, but as I say, he won that um, that World Senior Championship at the Crucible earlier this year, which clearly meant a lot to him. So, you know, he absolutely deserves his place. But it's a tough match against Trump. The next, the other match, Steve Maguire, Ryan Day. There's two players who uh, have been around a while as well. I mean, I remember when they were on the the old WPBSA Young Player Distinction scheme together, alongside. The likes of Sean Murphy and Ali Carter. Uh, Maguire we've barely seen this season. But, of course, he's got previous for coming into tournaments that he hasn't strictly qualified for. And winning them, he did that at the Tour Championship last year. Ryan Day, of course, got in winning the shootout. His results have been pretty good this season. He's been qualifying. He's been racking up a few wins. Of course, he plays uh, Maguire in the other uh, match in that group. I'm going to predict each group. and I'm going. <laughs> this is strip your neck out territory. Here's the thing, Maguire has beaten Trump several times. He's beaten him at the Masters, he doesn't fear playing him. But my view is that Judd Trump is going to come good at some point. And he loves this tournament. I know he's had some import into the look of it and you'll see different clothing. And I know that Judd Trump has been certainly asked his opinions, put it that way, on, on that sort of stuff. Um, he'll be trying absolutely his hardest to, to nail this. Of course, he lost that final, didn't he, to Neil Robertson two years ago, one of the great finals in any tournament. So, you know, it's not exactly... I know, uh, sticking my neck out, but I am going to go for Judd Trump in that group. Group two, this, this I think is the toughest group of them all. Uh, Mark Selby, Sean Murphy, Yan Bingtao and Dave Gilbert. Now, you know, there's quality all the way there. Selby, of course, the reigning world champion. Sean Murphy has got in actually because he reached the world final. That's one of the qualifying routes. Uh, Yan Bingtao, the Masters champion and Dave Gilbert won his first title, of course, Ranking event the uh, the Championship League to get in. And he's uh, scored so heavily this season, 19 centuries. Really has got a lot of st- matches under his belt. Um, and I'm going to say right from the off, I'm going to tip Gilbert to win this group. Um, it's uh, I'm not sure you can say the group of death anymore. It's probably a bit insensitive. But um, it's I think it is the hardest group uh, on paper. You know, Yan Tao. I mean, what a tough competitor he is. Every time you see him, you see players having to scrape him off the table. John Higgins did that, eventually, in Milton Keynes. But, you know, 4-0 up, only 1-5-3, tells you how tough Yambing Tao is. Sean Murphy, you know, a player I think everyone enjoys watching when he's on song, can absolutely uh, come through. I mean, he's won this tournament before. Uh, The strange thing about Selby is he's never won a tournament on ITV. I don't think he's ever been in an ITV final. Now, there's no obvious reason for that, except to say that there have been times, and this event, actually, in the past has, has... has been uh, an example of this Where there have been torments Around it in China And Selby traditionally done well there And sometimes just hasn't really um, Sort of readjusted to, to a UK time Maybe he's been a bit tired in the past But other times I mean last season that didn't apply Just hasn't hasn't come good on ITV um, I'm sure he'd love to Because these are big events uh, He did make a maximum in the Champion of Champions A couple of years back But uh, as he will tell you himself Didn't get any money for it So It's Selby v Gilbert, Murphy v Bintow. Um, Selby will start favoured against Gilbert, but I just get the feeling Dave Gilbert could come through that um, in what is, I think, the toughest group to predict. I'm going to predict, I guess, the outsider, uh, which is Gilbert. No wagering here, no money being put on. It's all it's all for fun. Group three, uh, some real big hitters here. Ronnie O'Sullivan, John Higgins, Ding, Jim, and Stuart Bingham. O'Sullivan, Higgins, former winners of the champion of champions. O'Sullivan three times. Bingham's been a runner up there And of course Ding has only really just come back After a a long break He's been out in China I've seen people say they think this is the hardest group But actually you look at it O'Sullivan is playing Bingham in the first match He's got a great record against Stuart Bingham I mean I know Bingham beat him at the Crucible When he won the World Championship But O'Sullivan almost always beats him He almost always beats Ding That's another you know, very one-sided head-to-head Higgins, of course, has beaten him many times, and indeed he beat, he beat him last weekend in in the semi-finals. I guess the question is, can John Higgins pick himself up from the double disappointment? He's playing well in general, but can he actually bounce back from that? He, they're on the last day of the group stage; that's the Thursday, so he's got you know a bit of time, week and a half to, you know, to sort of try and just focus on what's ahead. But I don't know; I, I, I I'm not convinced he's going to maybe be in the best of spirits turning up there. And Ronnie O'Sullivan, okay, he hasn't won a tournament in the last year, but he is the form man really in this event. He loves, it's the sort of tournament he loves. It's one table, you know, no sort of, it's not overcrowded with people. You can get on the practice table and all the rest. Um, he traditionally plays well in the tournament. And I'm gonna quite strongly actually predict him to win that group. And finally, group four. This is a, <laughs> this is a terrific group actually. Neil Robertson, of course, just won the English Open. Uh, Kyron Wilson he won uh, the championship league the uh, last season uh, the, the, the second one of the season Mark Williams of course pro series and british open winner and Jordan Brown the surprise winner of the welsh open uh, so Robertson will play Williams and Wilson will play Brown in the first round interesting uh, interesting lineup this in fact sorry no Robertson Robertson plays Williams and Wilson plays Brown i think that's actually what i said but anyway An interesting um, match to begin with, Robertson and and Williams. Very often when a player wins a tournament, they keep that spell going. A top player, that is. And and Neil Robertson um, has got a bit of previous for this as well. Um, Mark Williams we didn't see in Milton Keynes because he had COVID. Hopefully he's uh, he's better now. He's more than capable, of course, of beating Neil Robertson. But you do fancy after what happened uh, last weekend, Robertson will want to keep up that momentum. This is a tournament he really likes as well. He's a former winner. Um so I'm edging towards Neil Robertson in that match but the other one Karen Wilson Jordan Brown of course Jordan Brown this is a real sort of step up into the big leagues being in this event we saw him in the Players Championship um, completely uh, thrashed by John Higgins although that was the same that everyone else Higgins played in that event it wasn't uh, just Jordan who got nothing out of him Um he's not done much since winning the Welsh Open it's been a bit of readjusting I think for Jordan Brown Uh you know it's New expectations from other people and from himself and all the rest of it. Karen Wilson has had some pretty good results this season. Of course, uh, just been in the quarter-finals there of uh, the last event, the English Open, where he played really well against Neil Robertson. He had two centuries. Um, I saw him actually in the bar after and uh, he was with his, his brother and, and, and some friends and just briefly chatted to him and, and just he was just saying, well, listen, we both play well. Someone had to win. He seemed pretty chipper. And happy with how he played, even though, of course, he didn't get the result. And uh, I don't know whether he'll be happy or not to know that I'm going to tip him for this group. So I'm going to tip Karen Wilson to win that group. Um, he's been runner-up before. I thought it was a bit unlucky, actually, not to win it when he played O'Sullivan in the final. So my tips, <laughs> for what it's worth, and let's be honest, it's not worth much, for the four group winners are Judd Trump, Dave Gilbert, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Karen Wilson. In terms of who's going to win it, well... I'm sort of leaning towards Trump on the basis that, you know, he's going to presumably start winning tournaments again soon. I do think this is one he's targeting, um, quite strongly because it's one he's never won before. It's one that he really likes. And I think he will like the, as I say, the, we'll, we'll see it next week when, when we get underway on Monday, but there'll be a sort of different look. The players are wearing different clothing. I'm sure that will create a lot of, a lot of interest. Um, they're wearing sort of, uh, as I understand it, sort of shirts with their, Sort of nicknames on the back, not not like darts, exactly. I think it's a little bit sort of more reserved than that. But anyway, it'll be a talking point. I always say the same thing about the, the dress code. I really, it's really low down my list of priorities. Some people will think it's a way of modernising the sport. Some people traditionalists maybe will be aghast that the uh, the waistcoats and the bow ties. Well, in fact, it was ties before in this event gone. But that's all kind of froth because it's the snooker that we enjoy. So I'm sort of leaning towards Trump uh, t- to win the title, but uh, you know we'll see. It'll be a great week, I think. It's live in the UK on ITV4 and uh, uh, around the world on other on other platforms. I hope people enjoy it, and I hope people are positive about it. You know, it's, I've already read some strange comments uh, from people saying, you know, all oh, the format's wrong, or this is wrong, or that's wrong. It's not wrong. It's, this is a private promotion. Matchroom can do whatever they want. Simple as that. <laughs> it's their event. They're putting their money up. They want to return, and they work with the broadcast partners and they work with the sponsors. Um, but this is not a ranking tournament. This is an independent event, and the promoters can have whatever format they want, whatever criteria they want, whatever whatever they want, basically. And and uh, I'm sure they do it well. Matchroom Multisport, very passionate, dynamic uh, company. It's all part of the same umbrella, I know. Uh, but they, you know, they because they only do two snooker events a year, you know, they they want to, I guess, make it look different to the World Snooker Tour events. But it's the same sport. The rules haven't changed. Uh, it's the same game, and traditionally this event throws up some uh, terrific matches. So uh, I hope everyone will enjoy it. Uh, you can, uh, of course, email us, snookerscenepodcast at com. Snookerscenepodcast at com. We're proud members of the Sports Social Network. Check out their other podcasts. In future weeks, I hope to have a few guests on rather than me just talking to myself. Um, and there's all sorts of wild talk about a Christmas special, um, involving, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that because, uh, negotiations, uh, are ongoing. Um, so, yeah, so next week, uh, it's the Champion of Champions, and then, of course, we, uh, we, we don't stop really until Christmas. Um, we've got the UK, we've got the, uh, Scottish Open, we've got the World Grand Prix, there's a bit of Championship League that's gonna be around as well before Christmas, so, uh, Yeah, a feast for snooker fans, as uh, it's certainly in the UK. The weather starts to deteriorate. The nights draw in. It gets darker earlier, all the rest of it. Uh, Settle down by the fire, real or metaphorical, and watch the snooker. A couple of landmarks, actually, to look out for next week in terms of centuries. Neil Robertson needs one for 800 for his career. Mark Selby, one for 700. Um, So uh, just a couple of little little landmarks there. But uh, anyway, that's it. Thanks for listening. And, uh, well... As I've re- resurrected the catchphrase, I may as well say Goodbye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Lucky Sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.